electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the breaking point for stocks. Is there one if rates keep rising? We'll discuss and debate that with our investment committee today. Try to find out where your money is going to work best in the months ahead. Joining me for the hour today, take a look at our lineup. Joe Terranova is here along with Josh Brown. Pete Najeri will be along in a second. Brenda Vangelo is the CIO of Sandhill Global Advisors. Liz Young with us too, BNY Mellon's Director of Market Strategy. I'll take you to the wall. Let's get a check on where stocks are trading on this snowy Friday yet again in the New York area. You've got green all across the board. We're keeping our eye on interest rates too. Again, Liz, the question, is there a breaking point for stocks if the 10-year yield continues to go up? Well, we're not there yet, apparently, because stocks aren't getting too upset. Yeah, well, I think the real question here is, should rates be going up and why are they going up? And I think, yes, they should be going up and they're going up because the economy is expanding. We're expecting further expansion later in the year. We're expecting big improvement in corporate data and we're expecting a little bit of inflation and inflation continues to get kind of a bad rap. Inflation means there's healthy demand in the economy. So I welcome the rise in rates. Now, the question about what's the breaking point, when does it matter for the market? I don't know what the the magic number is. I don't know that there is a magic number about the mental threshold of when it's going to actually turn us down. I think it's more about the speed with which we get there. And if we gradually go up in rates throughout the year, I think that's okay and we can digest it. So I'm okay with this rate rise. I think there's going to be volatility in 2021 in the Treasury curve. I would lean into that volatility and use it as a buying opportunity if it does cause a pullback in stocks. Well, there you go on the 10 year. 134 is the yield as we look at it right now. Josh, I should also mention today the Dow hits a new intraday high. The real area of concern seems to be the Nasdaq and tech. Now, you have a nice green board today, but the last few days, the Nasdaq has looked a little wobbly. Those high multiple tech stocks seem to be the ones that might be most at risk if interest rates continue to rise. How do you see it? That's exactly how I see it. I think at one and a half percent, deals stop getting done. I think that's uh, when you don't have 50 SPACs every 48 hours. I think uh, you see cryptocurrencies uh, all of a sudden have a little bit of slowing in momentum. It's not, a, it's not like a, a catastrophe, but when you make the risk-free rate actually worth something, it gives people an alternative. And it doesn't mean they sell everything, but they just think twice before that next incremental buy into the next non-cash flow generating greater fool, you know, uh, uh, game that they were going to play. So I do think we're in a, in a place right now where everyone thinks they're really smart because they've been investing in things that don't have any need to generate cash flow whatsoever. And they've gone up and up and up and up. Yeah, we'll get back to Josh in a second. So Pete, 
You know, th that's a question. W where is the area that, that you would see would be most at risk? Is it, you know, some of these SPACs, some of the high-flying IPOs, some of the highest of high multiple tech stocks that have just absolutely ripped? Where is yes. the area that our viewers need to keep most in tune with? I would say yes to all of the above, Scott. I, I think you make a really good point. I mean, I've, I've, they've been a great run, right? We've talked about this time and time again. And, but we look at these multiples, and, and you don't have multiples in some cases. And so we have to price these stocks in a completely different way. Well, I don't know how healthy that is. So I think that it makes a very big difference in, in how you're determining where you want to have your, uh, your investments. And, and obviously, if you want to have high-risk inv investments out there, sure, there are some great opportunities like this. But I think at the same time, you have to understand, if you're in that world and you want to be in those kinds of names that you just mentioned with these unbelievable multiples, if they've got multiples and all of the rest, you're, you're basically looking for whatever you'd consider to be sort of like a hope of some sort that this can continue and someday maybe grow into it. Other than that, you've got some high risk. There's no doubt in my mind. And I think there are better places to be, Scott, where you've got lower risk and yet you've still got plenty of reward. Maybe not the same kind of reward as you're seeing in some of these others, but certainly there's been great reward in this market already just, just kicking off 2021. Yeah, Joe, I mean, look, the, the bottom line is... You can't have it both ways, okay? If you want to make an argument that stocks are so compelling, especially these technology stocks that trade at high multiples, and it, those multiples don't matter because interest rates are so low, if interest rates start to rise, you just can't brush it off and say, well, it doesn't matter because rates are rising for the right reasons, so the multiples are justified where they are. Or am I wrong? You're not wrong. The way that I would think about it and the viewers should think about it is basically the economy and the market is on a five on three power play in hockey. Got a two man advantage. You better score as many goals as you possibly can because you can't realistically expect you're going to play the entire game with that five on three advantage. We're going to return to five on five hockey at some point and a return to normalcy. And that return to normalcy is going to be rates that, as Josh pointed out, 1.50. That's where the S&P dividend yield is. So you're going to have competition for equities at that point. We could rise even further towards the January 1st, 2019, 2020 price for the 10-year Treasury of 192. Why? Because you're seeing a steepening of the yield curve, which is really illuminating this economic optimism. Understand something, Scott. The last time that the 10-year Treasury had a move like this was from 2016 into the end of 2018. We went from 1.50 to 3.25. The yield curve actually flattened at that point. So this time is a little different. You can expect the economic optimism to lead to higher yields. And as I said before, that's when the two men are gonna come back on the ice and a lot of uh, the easy ability to score these goals is gonna be removed from the market. That's just reality. Yeah. Okay, but, you know, unlike a two-man advantage in, in hockey, and I like your analogy, I'm a hockey guy, I'll, I'll run with that, uh, this power play is going to mm -hmm. go on for um, a while. I mean, if you listen to Sarah's interview with Janet Yellen yesterday, it, the new Treasury Secretary, former Fed Chair, it just underscores yep. the fact that she wants to go big on stimulus, Brenda. So, you know, you're going to get likely a large stimulus package. You're reflating the economy. Some of the GDP projections are 
now just through the roof, and they seem to be ratcheted up uh, by the day. So in that sort of environment, would you want to buy an app, you know, rates going up, in that environment, would you want to buy an apple or would you want to buy a deer or a caterpillar, for example? What's the best place for the money? Yeah, I think in that sort of environment, obviously everyone's going to benefit from more stimulus. And I think when it comes to Janet Yellen, she's looking and reflecting back on the last cycle and thinking if we had done more, we wouldn't have ended up with a decade of pretty slow economic growth. But I think that's key to why tech works so well during that time frame is because growth was relatively scarce. But I think as we look forward and suddenly growth won't be as scarce if there's lots more stimulus, that those areas that have been um, underperforming for the last decade and that would really benefit from faster economic growth, like the deers and the caterpillars, the financials, the industrials, those groups should really be bigger beneficiaries. And if we look at where earnings projections are, even for this year, we can see that energy, financials, industrials, consumers are all projected to grow earnings faster than technology. So I think it's not just a rate story, but it's also an economic growth story that's playing out here. And I think that should support this shift to more cyclical groups um, working better, I think, than technology, where comparisons are hard. They're going to get start getting harder in the first quarter here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all good points. So, Josh, yeah, I think you're back with us. Your, your shot's not frozen anymore. Let, let's play this game, okay? For, for this year, let's say for calendar year 2021, is Apple going to do better than deer or caterpillar or caterpillar and deer going to be the places to be for all of the reasons that all of us have just put forth on the table? I think that's really tough to say because the question is, does Apple the company do better than caterpillar or deer or does Apple the stock do better? And Apple the stock has some features about it uh, that put it in a position uh, really to be competitive with almost any stock in the market. And it's counterintuitive because you would say, all right, well, it's a $2 trillion market cap. Like, how much could it go up? The buyback is a very big factor in why Apple could have a really good year uh, as a stock, even if the business has tougher comps. I think we all agree a lot of people were buying electronics last year that they don't necessarily need to replace this year. Uh, That being said, though, we're also in a phone cycle. So I'm in Apple. Even if I thought they wouldn't have a great year, I would still be in it because I'm an investor and I've always been in it the entire way up. Um, But I do think Mm -hmm. there is a story, there's a story where the Caterpillar names um, continue to recover and Apple still managed to put up a competitive return as a stock. So we we could broaden it out too, Pete, and make it not so specific to Apple. But if I said to you, do you want to be in big cap tech? Or do I want to be in big name industrial, whether it's the cat, deer, or another name that you have on your list, um, what would it be? Sure. You know, I still like the technology space, Scott, and I think the reason that I do is when I look at the various na- names in technology, I still think that the, the names that I like the most, and, 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 and obviously uh, we were just hearing from Josh about Apple, I mean, I look at these names, Microsoft and Apple and, and, and multiple other names out there where when you look at the PEs, in some cases, are they stretched maybe a little bit relative to the past, but based on the environment that we're in and, and a lot of the different categories that we're moving into in some of these names, obviously the cloud still has tremendous growth and I think will continue to have that kind of growth. So names like Microsoft and Google and, and, and Amazon, I think will still flourish because of that. And then you look over at Apple and they just continue to have 
new reasons to why we want to own them, obviously. And it, and it just continues, Scott. So I do think there's still plenty of room yet, yet left for technology to move to the upside. But that doesn't mean you can't have a little bit of both. I, I Quite honestly, I don't know that we have to make that decision because I think you could own Apple, but you could also own a Boeing. Or maybe it's Deer. Or maybe it's Caterpillar. For me, it would be Boeing. Because I think after the year that we've gone through and watched Boeing, and we all know all the different storylines, we know about the airlines and all that, I think that that is a stock that potentially could be poised for a lot higher levels over the next year or maybe even a little bit longer than that based upon where they were going before, before we actually ran into all the different headaches that they've had to deal with and obviously some of the terrible things they had to deal with as well. I think there's a lot of reasons why there's tremendous growth for Caterpillar, for Boeing, and obviously Deer as well. So, Joe, what if what if I'm sitting at home and, and I've got a portfolio that's really done well over the last, you know, let's say a couple of years, certainly has done well in the pandemic. And I had taken advantage of the scene and I really put money to work in enterprise mm-hmm. software. OK, high valuations. Those multiples have gone up. The stocks have done quite well for me. And now I'm listening to our conversation and thinking to myself, you know, Rates seem like they may continue to go up for all the reasons that the, the investment committee on the halftime report has just talked about. Some have come on either at the very beginning of the year or late into 2020 and suggest like Brad Gerstner, for example, and said, you know, enterprise software valuations may be ahead of themselves. There's got to be a bit of a, a, a comeback. You know, are you looking at a snowflake in your portfolio? Are you looking at a Salesforce, an Oracle and Adobe and saying maybe now's the time to take some profits there and put that money to work elsewhere? or not. If you have not taken any profit in emerging software, the answer is yes. You should be giving consideration to taking some profits. I am not saying to liquidate the position in entirety, but you can take a little bit off of the table. I think that's the prudent thing to do. I think technology overall, you're going to see bifurcation in terms of performance moving forward. Just point towards mega cap technology for one second. You bring up Apple. Since January 25th, when Apple traded to a new all-time high, it... I knew that was going to happen. We'll pick Joe uh, back up in his comments about Apple. Uh, Brenda, let me go to you, though. Um, You know, you're out on the West Coast. You're you're out in the Valley. What about the idea of, and maybe you're in some of these names that we were just talking about, not Apple per se, but some of these enterprise software names, even some of these newer, younger companies that have gone public, their stocks have just soared right out of the door. What do you do with those? Yeah, I think for the newer public companies that have soared right out of the gates, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the next year plays out because there is going to be a period of time where the rubber is going to need to meet the road and these companies are going to have to put up good quarter after good quarter after good quarter to continue to support the multiple that they're getting. Um, there has been this huge rush, and it's not just in enterprise software, but in other areas, particularly within small cap as well, uh, like renewable energy, um, that really have just soared to the moon. So I think we're going to have a period of time where we're really going to need to see 
uh, the growth <laughs> and, and, the, and the surprise in earnings to really allow these companies to grow into the multiple. Um, but to the extent that they are able to grow and continue to grow sequentially and increase the growth rate sequentially, I think they will continue to stand out um, versus the larger cap peers where they may have had such a tremendous 2020 that we're now going to be looking at growth rates that are declining sequentially. So I think there's going to be a difference there in who gets the multiple. And the companies that are still able to grow sequentially, um, I think, should be able to still command a higher multiple than those that can't. Yeah. Joe, I think we're back. Uh, I'm sorry, Brenda. Joe, we're back with, uh, with your shot. I'll let you finish your, your thought on Apple. I can't wait till we just throw this technology nonsense out the window. We're all around the same table again. <laughs> boy, that's going to be uh, one heck of oh, a day. Boy. I can't wait for that. But let's try and get through, let's try and get through uh, your answer on Apple here. Pick it up. Sure, I'll have the suit on that day when we do make that return. But Apple has clearly Better. underperformed since it's making that all-time high on January 25th. There's something about it. Maybe the street doesn't like the introduction to EV. But yet, Scott, Microsoft and Alphabet have both traded to all-time highs within the last three days. So that's where that bifurcation in technology performance is really going to come into play. Um, your question is a fair one. As I said, yes. You're giving consideration to pairing back some of your holdings in emerging software. And you're also looking to the cyclical components of the economy. How about industrials for one second? If the economic optimism is real and we are going to accelerate very quickly in 2021, well, guess what? It's actually time to think about owning some of the airlines, which is something that is radically different than I would have commented on just three to six months ago. Mm, that's interesting. Do you, have, do you have a name or two that, that you like right here or, or you would start taking a look at for, for those reasons? Alaska Air, first on the list of airlines, United Airlines second, and Delta third. Well, oh, you made Farmer Jim happy, right? Farmer Jim's been sitting in Alaska Airlines Ala telling you that that's been the one to own. Uh, so now you've gotten uh, in, the, uh, in the seat with him. That, that, that's, that's interesting. You know, the other area, guys, that, that has seen a, a, a nice amount of gains, Liz, the financials. They're leading this week uh, for obvious reasons, as we've been talking about rates potentially depressing some other areas. Well, it certainly hasn't done that to the financial space. Does that continue to work? Are we, are we running out of gas on the financials trade, Liz, or, or do we have more room? I don't think we're running out of gas. I, th I think financials have been waiting for this environment for years, that we have a steepening curve. They can actually make money on that net interest margin. And we got more constructive on financials at the beginning of the year. I would stay that way through 2021. Plus, there's the buybacks that can happen. So as we move through the rest of the year and even just watching earnings, not only on a broad index level, but for financials, I think we see improvement as things go on. And financials is a space that is not going to get rewarded in a super high volatility environment or a super high beta environment, which is what has been rewarded lately. So as we try to pass the baton from policy back to fundamentals, I think a lot of these financials are going to look really good. Yeah, you know, Josh, I've been I've been dying to talk to you about the Buffett, uh, the Berkshire 13F, you know, not only because you own Berkshire shares, but the move out of J.P. Morgan entirely, I just found so interesting. I know you like J.P. Morgan. You're in that stock. What's your view on the move at Berkshire yeah. to get totally out of J.P. Morgan? I never thought I would say this, but I think uh, the Berkshire 13F is probably uh, less worth paying attention to than maybe ever before in my lifetime. 
I think it's absolute incoherence from the outside looking in. I don't think there really are any fundamental takeaways uh, on individual companies. I don't think there are any sector bets that uh, make any sense for a non uh, Berkshire treasurer. I really just Do, think let me uh, ask you they've this. got a couple let of. Let me ask you this. All right, go ahead. Well, let me ask you this because it's, inter- it's a very interesting part. Forgive me for, for cutting you off. Um, it's a very interesting point you make. And when we were talking about the 13F from Berkshire the other day, I mentioned how, you know, it, it's all conjecture and speculation. And it's so hard to read into it because, you know, Buffett is where he is in his life at this point. He has other people who are running the, the portfolio, so whom you don't hear from really ever. So it's really hard to get into the, the mind of Berkshire Hathaway in a way where it wasn't like that for many of the past years. So here's what I, th- here's what I think happens. First of all, the financial cri- two things about the financial crisis that I think have rendered the Berkshire 13F completely irrelevant to investors from now on. The first thing is that the rescues that Buffett pulled off, everyone saw them. Everyone became very aware at how incredible those trades were, specifically what he did with GE, with Goldman Sachs, uh, Bank of America, and on and on. Those rescues where he was the only person willing to come in, take a preferred stock issue that was created directly for him, because him investing gave these companies the imprimatur of, hey, they're gonna survive, right? Like that, he had that premium that he was able to command for putting money out. The Fed just took his job away. They said, well, we don't need Warren Buffett because it turns out we can print, rates never rise, inflation never goes up, we can print enough to do all of these deals. And that's exactly what you saw happen. And in fact, the Fed did so much that there weren't even takers for the money. The Main Street lending program that they tried, um, it's not even for Main Street, by the way. It was for businesses with, I think, 500 employees and up. Nobody even wanted the money. That's how much money was out there. Look at SPACs. Nobody needs capital for anything from uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Therefore, the premiums that they can command in order to dole out that capital are so low that it's almost not worth doing. So what game is he going to play? He's going to buy stocks at 25 times earnings. He doesn't want to do that either. So I think they're making some investments that look big, but they're really not in the scale of the company. Again, keep in mind the Berkshire Mm -hmm. Securities portfolio, I think it's like $250 billion. So they buy a little Chevron. They buy some Japanese trading banks. They do a little Verizon. These are not needle-moving investments. And I think people emotionally were disappointed that um, Mozart didn't, you know, drop a, 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 a new symphony to blow us all away during this last crisis. The other thing, though, Scott, I think, is that it all happened too fast. So he did bottom tick the airlines. That's true. Another curiosity. Um, but there just weren't values created. There weren't distressed companies. Policy came in and did Berkshire's job for it. You could argue that's what policy should sure, do. That's but, a whole other conversation. But look, so you, I don't think you, that people looking say, at Berkshire can look at it you, the same way. No, but but you you have to pay attention, Josh, to the 13F, and you must want to know what he owns. How can you not want to know that or declare it irrelevant if you own Berkshire Hathaway stock? No, no, no. no. If you own Berkshire Hathaway stock, of course, of course. But even then, like, what are you, what are you going to argue with them? But I'm saying the 13F 
used to be relevant for tens of millions of investors because they would try to glean from it. So my, I'll give you a great example. During the dot-com bubble, Warren Buffett was buying housing stocks. You know what he was doing? He was, in doing that, he was positioning himself for the next uh, bubble that we would soon have a couple of years later. He was buying aluminum siding, carpeting companies, companies that uh, built homes. That's how he spent that period of time in 2000 while everyone else was chasing fiber optics and, and, and dot-com stuff. Um, so he's always been uh, ahead of the curve. He's always been on to the next thing. This time he wasn't. And I, I really don't think there's any signal for non-Berkshire shareholders to take away from any of his buys and sell. They, he bought uh, Barrick Gold uh, in one quarter and sold it the next quarter. There's no rhyme or reason to that. There's nothing, there's nothing you could take sure. away from that. So I think, like, what uh, the reason, I think people what, what, need to just say, God. I was going to say, one of the reasons why I went to you is because you, you own Berkshire shares. So you'd have a unique perspective in, in and of itself, plus the fact that I know how closely you have yeah. followed Buffett and Berkshire over the years. Speaking of, uh, Pete, when we talk about the financials, another you know, name that's been in the Berkshire book, uh, Wells Fargo, which is very interesting to me that yeah. you just bought Wells Fargo stock, not options, but stock. Right, right. And I had, I had calls in there as well, Scott, and then I just decided to add and, and go with the stock side of things as well. This seems like something that wants to break out. It's been breaking out, and we've watched this run for a while now, and we've seen names like Bank of America and City finally start to move, specifically Bank of America, and we've seen some of these other names. I really have been adding to this financial exposure that I've had for, for a while now. This goes back towards the latter part of the last year, just because it was so hated, Scott, and it didn't look and didn't feel all that good back in the late fall, but it's starting to feel a heck of a lot better now. And I think that there's a lot of different areas within, let's call them really financials rather than just saying banks, because I think there's a huge distinctions between each and every one of the names that we bring up each and every day. And I think that's really important. So yeah, Wells Fargo, that's, you know, we're talking banks. I think that they are positioned now very, very well. I think they've got a lot of this now behind them. And because of that, I think that's why we're seeing the performance that we've seen of late. And this is a stock that even on some down days recently, we've watched Wells Fargo actually move back up and be in the green while the markets are actually still going fairly deep into the red at times. So I think that there's a lot of reasons right now to look at certain names within the financial space. And I've got quite a few of them right now. And I'm happy with all of them because when you look back to the earnings cycle, we actually learned a lot about a lot of these various names and how they're doing and how they're doing it and where they're actually capitalizing best. And I think there's, there's just countless names out there right now that still have plenty of upside. And I think there's a lot of room to shift around within that as well. I see Joe, Joe's talking about Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley as his exposure. Those are great names. They have absolutely been performing incredibly well. I've traded those, but I haven't had, uh, uh, I've been in other names where I wanna be from an investment standpoint, but those are phenomenal trades because the movement that we've seen out of some of those names just violently to the upside has been extraordinary. Yeah, we're looking at Wells uh, get a little bit of a lift here as we're having this conversation, too. We'll keep our eye on that. We also are keeping our eye on next week, a busy week for earnings, Home Depot Square, NVIDIA, Shake Shack, and more. We're going to get you all set up for that. A reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We've got Unusual coming up a lot more just a couple minutes away.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden laying out U.S. foreign policy priorities at a big security conference in Germany. He said that the U.S. commitment to NATO was, quote, unshakable, and that allies must push back against the anti-free market policies of China and others. And during the Q&A session, Biden said that he's ready to declare a major disaster in Texas to unlock more FEMA resources. The U.S. has rejoined the Paris Accord on climate change. Secretary of State Blinken says that Addressing climate change risk is now a key priority for the administration. Ford has recalled 154,000 older vehicles to find 45 missing Takata airbags. The vast majority are Ford Rangers from the 2004 to 2006 model years. And Prince Philip will stay in the hospital until next week. Doctors say that the 99-year-old husband of Queen Elizabeth, they say it's just out of an abundance of caution and that he is in good spirits. Good to hear that. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right. Appreciate that for health. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right. The committee's making moves. Josh, I'm, I'm coming to you. We're going to get to one of your new buys a, a little bit later. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I do want to talk about some things that you sold, though. You sold Unity Software. So why don't you tell me about that first? And then there's something else I want to talk to you about, too. There's no specific reason for the Unity sale. Um, I own it as part of a, a venture capital strategy. So I was in it pre-IPO and it's no longer pre-IPO. So there's a holding period, and when the holding period ends, I sell. Um, I think it's a great company. I mean, it's gone up like a huge amount from the original purchase, so it's, it's, a, it's a huge profit, but uh, there's no fundamental judgment there. What's, what's the next one you want to do? I want to talk about gold. Um, you sold Barrett Gold. Okay. Uh, and I'm just curious. I mean, I think it was yeah. in the last, uh, you know, I don't know, day or so. You know, Gundlach has made some interesting comments on gold uh, of late. You had... You know, and he was maybe talking about how Bitcoin is now the stimulus asset rather than gold. Ken Griffin was on Squawk this morning, uh, maybe dissing uh, Bitcoin a, a little bit. I'm just and I know I think you own some Bitcoin still, too. Just give me your view on why out of Barrett Gold, what you think of what Gunlock said and Bitcoin, too. I am starting to come around to the idea that Bitcoin. All right. Picture a world where there is no Bitcoin. Where would gold's price be? Right. So that's the question. I think it would be closer to 3000, quite frankly, than 1500. So um, one thing that you have to understand about commodities, especially the precious metals, people either want them or they don't. And nothing else matters. They're purely supply and demand. It's how much gold is there in the world versus how much demand is there. A lot of the demand that normally would be for gold, I do believe we could say it's another generation, whatever you want to say. I do believe has found other things that it's more interested in as a non-dollar uh, bet or a weak dollar bet even. So it's not that there's a problem with Barrick Gold, there's a problem with any of the miners, or there's even a problem with gold itself. The question is, do people want to buy it or not? And you can only really go by technicals. And technically speaking, gold uh, peaked in August for this cycle, 
And so it's really like eight months or, or nine full months almost uh, where price has been slowly but quietly declining. And now you actually even had a dollar rebound this past week. So I just said, is there some place I could be that's better right now? Um, and, and I think I found it. So uh, it's, it's not a judgment against Barracle, the company. There's just no demand for gold right now. And only technicals will tell you when that's changed. Interesting. Joe, um, you got some good stuff going on, too. You bought the SMH, uh, Louisiana Pacific, and Old Dominion. Why don't you take me through those? Louisiana Pacific, I gave as the final trade on Wednesday. They had reported earnings on Tuesday. Earnings were incredibly strong. The guidance was raised. This is a small cap company, which gives you exposure to the incredibly strong housing market. Old Dominion, that's a name that I've been in in the past. I know that our viewers will know that. They also reported earnings. They have 100% revenue exposure in the U.S. And Scott, can you find a domestic company that was able to raise prices 5% and they were accepted? Not even a blip. So the supply chain is restarting. This is basically smaller than a, a truckload transportation. Uh, it's a name I've enjoyed owning in the past. I'm back in it again. SMH. I am in the SMH. And, and listen, basically, and I, Stephen Weiss has done a great job with uh, Teradyne. I've been in Teradyne. I sold Teradyne the other day. I still have AMD, which I think Pete has as well. But just look at the applied materials earnings from last night. Look at the performance from names like Lamb Research and Clack and Maxim. I wanted to have the uh, semi-exposure once again and do it in a broad-based manner because CapEx is going to return specifically for the semis, and you're going to see that inventory build over the next six to nine months. And that's the best broad way for me to get that. Yeah, I mean, the you know, companies like the automakers are telling you how in-demand chips are. Right. Yep. Just take a take a lead from them. Pete, uh, before we take a quick break, you've got new calls in. I'm just going to go through some of them. You have a lot. and You can tweet those out if you'd like uh, the ones we don't get to. Jeffries, Las Vegas Sands and a company called Summit Materials. Do you want to yeah. tell, tell me about Summit Materials? Just because I don't think we've ever talked about it before. You can talk about sure. the other two, but do that first. Yeah, it's a name. Absolutely. Summit's a name that I've been in in the past, Scott. I got out of it because this thing has been nothing but a, a stock that seems to be performing extremely well in the construction material space. And it, Joe was just talking about it. We've heard everybody else talking about what's going on in the economy. And we talk about construction, industrials, all the rest of it. Well, this is the bottom down. So you, you can, you're starting down with Summit. This is a name that just continues to move to the upside. We've seen activity in here on multiple occasions. And so anytime that I see that again, Scott, if I'm out, I got to get back in or, or I might have to add. I was out, so I added this one. I, I like what they do. And I think this is a company that probably doesn't get looked at. It looks, matter of fact, it's been looked over many times, I think, in the past. Las Vegas Sands is interesting to me because of the fact that as we start to open up a little bit more, and I'm not just talking about here, Las Vegas Sands, let's not forget, it's Singapore, it's Macau, and yes, it is in Las Vegas as well. But this is a company that I think has already recovered a lot. I think there's still plenty of room to the upside for, for this name. So I, I continue to want to own this one as well. And I, I tell you what, there was just so much activity, Scott. The one thing I would point out, I don't think that I've ever traded as much in the last week and a half or two weeks 
ever outside of being on the trading floor. So it gives you a little bit of an idea of just the changes. And you mentioned it. I probably am not going to tweet it all out. It'll probably fill out more characters than I can. But it's really incredible just how <laughs> much activity and the accelerated moves, the ups and the downs. There are, the movement has been absolutely extraordinary. Give me a shout. Uh, give me something on uh, Jeffries. Why, why Jeffries? Well, I love the financials, and this is one of those names that I think stands out. I didn't have any kind of a position in here. I've been in there in the past. And, Scott, when, when we were talking about financials earlier in the show, we, I looked through my list. I, it's countless how many different names are either with stock or with calls. And I think that there's plenty of different names that I, I can rotate in and out of. And this name, I like the name. I think they're really well run. Obviously, they've done some things over the past year or so that have changed the, the, the structure of the company itself. I like what they've done. And I think this is a name that really could start to participate like the Wells Fargo's and all the rest. All right, we'll throw a shout to Richie Handler as you're talking about Jeffries. All right, yeah. up next, Pete's latest trades and unusual activity. Plus, in celebration of Black History Month, we are honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here's Degas Wright with his story. Early in my career, I was interviewing for analyst position. I arrived at the office and told the reception, I'm here to see the manager. And she said, have a seat in the reception area. I was the only person sitting there. When the manager came into the reception area, he asked the receptionist, did Mr. Wright leave? That manager did not see me. He did not see that the person sitting in that reception area was the same person that described in the resume. But to me, that did not matter because I knew my value. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. All right, welcome back. Pete, it's you. Unusual. What do you got? Uh, all right, let's get after it. I got a tech travel company for you, Sabre Scott. Now, this one's pretty interesting. On January 29th, stock was 1080. They were buying calls. Jan on February 2nd, stock was 1190. They were still buying calls. Today, the stock's 1390, and they're buying the March 14 calls, Scott. They bought over 8,400 of those calls. They started at 80 cents, went up to $1.10. Stock was trading 1390 at the time. So the stock definitely, they're buying right at the money calls. I'm going to be in this one at least two to three weeks. I think there's still more upside coming there. Met Joe mentioned the SMH. I already own Micron the stock, but Micron again is hitting. It's hit nine separate times since the start of January. Stock was 74 at the start of January and they started buying calls. Today's stock was trading about 89. They're buying the 93 strike calls that expire next Friday, the 26th. They bought a total of 5,200 of those between 90 cents and a dollar. I got one week for these to, to pan out for me. Stock, I think, is already starting to make a nice move. Stock, as I said, was 89, but it's already making a little bit of a move today. This is a stock that I think very easily could get through 93 in a hurry. Yeah, it's pushing 90, 89, uh, 68, and, uh, and climbing. 
Pete, thank you for that. All right, check out this mystery chart. Sector's up 12% this year. It's outperforming the major averages. A big call now from Goldman Sachs on it. We'll talk about that. We've got Josh's new buy within that as well. You don't want to miss that in our call of the day. Coming up next. Let's look at the mystery chart. We showed you. There it is. Housing. Uh, it's done quite well. Rahel Solomon uh, has our call of the day today. Rahel? Hi, Scott. Yeah, Goldman giving KB Home a double upgrade from sell to buy. Price target goes to $51 from $32 a share. The note pointing out, Scott, that the ongoing urban exodus to the suburbs and, of course, low mortgage rates. So the demand for homes is there, but Goldman also estimating that there were 43 homes for every 100 buyers in 2020. So supply is also tight. And the surge in home building also pushing building material prices higher. Lumber, for example, is up 60 percent in three months. And Scott, as you know, we've seen these type of upgrades for some of the home builders pretty much throughout the pandemic. There are now no sales on the stock, according to FactSet. After lagging a bit through 2020, KB Home is actually up 25% so far in 2021. Our own Jim Cramer pointing out a few weeks back that he also thinks KB Home has more room to run. And some of Goldman's other top picks, Scott, in the space include DR Horton and Pulte Group, both in the green so far this year, though Pulte is a relative lagger up just 7%, Scott. All right, Rahel, good to see you again. Thank you. All right, Liz Young, look, these stocks have obviously done well. Housing's been a boom. You think it's run its course? Yeah, I hate to be a contrarian here because I think the rest of the panel is going to disagree with me. But I do think the residential real estate market has already seen a pretty big heyday. And if I was going to play real estate right now, I would start to go into REITs, office space, some of that retail stuff that's going to come back to life. And I'll tell you what, I'm in Manhattan. Rentals are actually going up now. So when rents are going up, that usually means that people are coming back to the city. I think the, re the residential real estate boom is over. Yeah, interesting. Brenda, do you agree? Disagree? I think there's still a long tail to the supply demand imbalance, but I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next year when people are asked to come back to the office or not, or maybe they decide to prioritize other spending, like going on a vacation instead of deciding to move. So I think there could be a little bit of flux here, but I think the longer term story of supply demand is still intact. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'd already talked a little bit about gold, but we'll find out how the futures traders are playing it now. We'll get their move. We'll do it next. Time for the futures outlook. Gold prices, well, we talked about them before, reversing uh, higher after touching the lowest level since June earlier. Brian Stutland with us with our Friday trade. Yeah, Scott. I mean, when you talk about gold, it's kind of an interesting concept because it's been going down. All the rest of the commodities are in this super cycle to the upside. But I think the reason here is people are looking for different ways to utilize gold. Gold really, to me, doesn't have much value anymore, especially if it closes a little bit lower to here. It's going to be a major technical breakdown. And when you look at it, I'm trading VIX futures for the volatility event, and I'm trading Bitcoin to hold storage value. So I don't really need gold anymore. And I think if we get a close here below 1785, I would be a seller of the April futures contract because I think it can go down all the way down to 1710 or so. Uh, I put a stop a little bit higher up and basically pay, paying a payout of 7,000 versus risking 7,000. So 
Um, I'm playing that range. I think gold is just losing value. It's a key technical level here. We've had a 50% retracement from low to high that you just saw on that graph. And I think if we close below the 1780 level or so, I think it trades a lot lower. So I'd be playing it to the short side using gold futures, that April futures contract, to play that short. All right. Good stuff. Have a good weekend. We'll see you soon. Yeah. We've got final trades next and Josh's new buy. All right, Josh, tell me about Gore's Holdings 6. Well, that, that name is just a placeholder. This is a SPAC that's already announced the deal. They're buying what I consider to be one of the most interesting private technology companies that I've come across in a while. It's called Matterport. And Matterport basically has this massive library of digital versions of all of the, the buildings that exist in the world. They started off as a 3D camera company, but now it's much bigger. They've got an app that's really popular. You can download it right now. You can capture your entire house digitally without the aid of a 3D camera. But basically, this is a play on virtualization. I think it's a category killer. They see themselves as a Zoom or a PayPal or a Netflix-esque company with a huge lead over everyone else in digitizing the environments in which we work and live in. So their customers would be like commercial real estate companies, residential realtors, people, uh, um, people in the hospitality industry, the leisure industry, remodeling. So they basically have a huge lead, and that's what this SPAC will turn into, Matterport. Look into the CEO, this guy RJ Pittman, who joined in 2018. Background is like Apple, uh, eBay, Google, just a bananas resume. And I'm really excited about what this company might be able to turn into. So I own the SPAC pre-closing of the deal. Yeah, it, you know, we have our SPAC index, our CNBC SPAC index. It's interesting that the relationship of, of owning the SPAC pre-deal and then once it actually starts publicly trading, you can see the, the difference in performance. There is uh, our SPAC 50, uh, which is up one half I've of never 1%. done it, by the way. Josh, why don't you give me a fine... Say again? I've, I've, never, I've never done that, by the way. I, this is the first time I'm buying a SPAC that's already announced the deal at a premium. I've never done it, so I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, final trade, yeah, Invitation Homes. I disagree. Yeah. I disagree with what Liz said about suburban real estate. This thing is going higher. I, INVH on the verge of a breakout. Okay. Liz, I'll, I'll give the ball to you. Uh, tips all aboard the inflation train. Okay. Brenda, you have a final trade for me? American Tower, huge beneficiary of continued demand for cellular data and 5G. All right. Pete, with the great background today, what do you got? How about that healthcare? I'm going to go with AbbVie, Scott. Okay. Good stuff. And uh, Joe Terranova? Waste management. All right. Good weekend, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.